do an Amos when you see what we do otherwise. <laughs> All right, Amos chapter 6, verses 8 to 14, boys and girls. The Lord God has sworn by himself, the Lord God of hosts has declared, I will load the arrogance of Jacob and the text of Judah. Therefore I will deliver up the city and all it contains. And it will be, if ten men are left in one house, they will die. The one's uncle and his undertaker will lift him up to carry out his bones from the house. And he will say to the one who is in the innermost part of the house, Is anyone else with you? And that one will say, No one. Then he will answer, Keep quiet, for the name of the Lord is not to be mentioned. For behold, the Lord is going to command that the great house be smashed to pieces, and the small house to fragments. Do horses run on rocks, or does one plow them with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You rejoice in the loaded bar, and say, Have we not by our own strength taken carnaim for ourselves? For behold, I am going to raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God of hosts, and they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. The Lord God is sworn by himself. This is a very significant, powerful statement. And what has he declared? I loathe the arrogance of Jacob. That is a strong statement. He hates Israel's pride. And he detests his citadels. For the however many times we've come across the citadels. Why does he not like the citadels? Shows how they put so much emphasis on their own strength. Yes. Their self-security made them not trust and depend on God. In their case, the mighty fortress was their God. <laughs> That's what they put all their stock in. God couldn't stand it. So he's going to destroy them. Ten men are left in the house. They'll die. And there won't be anybody there even to call the name of the Lord. Uh, they're dead. He's, he's so upset with them, he's going to annihilate them. And in verse 11, he's going to command that the great house be smashed to pieces and the small house to fragments. You know, he's going to destroy their security, he's going to destroy their comfort. Comments and questions to verse 11. Earlier, it was a, a city of a thousand would have a hundred left in a city of... A hundred would have ten left. Yeah. And now if you have ten left, they're all dead. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is looking bleaker. Yeah. So the remnant dies. So what is he saying in verses nine and ten? I think he's saying nobody's gonna be left. Nobody's gonna escape the judgment anyway. Exactly. God's, and, and so there won't even be anybody left to call on God. They'll all be, they'll all be dead. Just the, the extremity of God's judgment against them. There's some debate about the translation in verse 12. Some of you probably got different things there. Uh, because actually there's some uh, there's some manuscript differences. Uh, do horses run on rocks? And then does one plow them with oxen? Or does one plow the sea with oxen? 
New York Standard is, does one plow them with oxen? What, what about the other translations? New King James says, does one plow there with oxen? Okay. I've got that and reference says, so with a C. Okay. I'm not sure which is right, but either way comes to out <coughs> the same place. You're going to plow, plow rocks with oxen? No. You're going to plow the sea with oxen? No. What would be the problem with that? <laughs> what? What would be the problem with what? Plowing the sea with oxen? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. Wouldn't be a problem. Well, if you tried to plant crops in the sea, the salt would inhibit their growth. There's no earth. And uh, the action of the waves would kind of destroy the effect of the plowing. I mean, that in fact probably wouldn't work too well. Uh, I've lost a lot of oxen. <laughs> 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 this is my 12th yoke oxen. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Yet you have turned justice into poison, the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You think that's bad. You think that's foolish and stupid and, and it makes no sense. What about what you've done? You know, whether you're talking about plowing rocks, which would be useless, or plowing the sea, which is even more useless. What they've done in turning justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood was something even more natural and something that would be, you know, totally useless and ridiculous. Only an idiot would do that on either side. You know, I think he's trying to say what you're doing makes no sense. Are you guys crazy? Why would you plow the sea with oxen? Why would you turn justice into wormwood? You rejoice in Lodibar and say, have we not by our own strength taken Carnaim for ourselves? They were prizing, priding themselves on their strength and power to conquer things. Lodibar was a place, but you know what Lodibar meant? Nothing. Yes. Actually, he misspelled it to, to be able to come up with nothing. So it's like, you know, you guys captured Nothingville. That was real smart. You know, helped you a lot. Um, this self-confidence and pride was so foolish. I'm going to raise up a nation against you. And they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. What's the entrance of Hamath and the Brook of the Arabah? Entire extent of Israel's territory. Absolutely. Where was Hamath? Yes, in the far north. Second uh, Kings fourteen twenty five uses the same comparison, and the Arabah was where? South. Take a guess. In the south. So they're going to afflict you from one end, one extreme, uh, to the other. And, and because God is just, can't stand their arrogance, he can't stand their pride and their self-confidence, he will send an enemy in that will thrash him from one side of the country to the other. Comments and questions? I'm kind of lost in the last part of 13. It says, who say, have we not taken Karnaim for ourselves by our own strength? What on earth is that? Karnaim be a place. And they're saying, you know, we've taken this by ourselves. You know, we 
we in our own strength have managed to conquer. But now my margin says this that Carnea means a pair of horns. And this, well, this, this thing, this commentary at the bottom says that showing that how they use their own strength. I guess it's again talking about how proud they were. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've been able to do this ourselves. Look at what we've conquered. Look at our accomplishments. And yet they still have nothing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they accomplish all this and what do they get? You know, they managed to conquer nothing, Phil. Don't you, you know, have you ever seen a little kid get all excited because he did some little thing that's nothing? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh my. You thought that was that was impressive? You know? I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, uh, a kid, a little kid showing <laughs> something off in the sports realm to an outstanding, you know, uh, player. You know, can you imagine, you know, a little kid, you know, sinking a three-foot putt trying to brag Tiger Woods or something like that? You know, can you imagine what our little petty boasting and bragging must seem like to God? <laughs> kind of pathetic. Hey, look, I just made a fool of myself. Yeah. It's basically what we're doing. We are. Same thing. We are. Yeah, any any degree of pride we have at all in our accomplishments is so foolish before the Lord. All right, other comments and questions on chapter six. Well, we kind of change gears in chapter seven. This becomes visual. Seven verses one to three. Thus, the Lord God showed me, and behold, He was forming a locust swarm. When the spring crop began to sprout, and behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord God, please pardon me. How can Jacob stand? For he's small. The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. So what did what was Amos shown? Swarm of locusts. How do you feel about locusts if you live in Amos's day? It's like a plague. Yeah, it's terrible because what of course would the locusts do? Yeah. And when was this locust swarm coming? After the king's mowing. Which means? In the fall, I guess. Or no? What's the king's mowing? Well, it's that, you know, what they do, as I understand, is this is kind of the uh, king's taxes. He'd get the first mowing. That'd be his. The rest of it belongs to the people. He's laid in his. The people haven't gotten theirs yet. And the locust plague comes along and devastates it. So just at the wrong time, the locusts come in. Just as the spring uh, crop uh, was about to sprout. Just, just when they were about to harvest for themselves, the locusts come in and eat the vegetation of the land. And that's what God shows Amos. What does Amos do? Pleads God. Yeah, Amos gets involved in the situation. He begs God. For what? Now, 
what argument does he use to get God to pardon and relent against Israel? He's so small. Yeah. That is so ironic. How did Israel see themselves? Huge. Yeah, they thought they were so big and powerful and important. And ironically, the only help, hope for their survival is pleading with God that they are so small that they need God's mercy. Amos knew God cares so much for the weak, and the poor, and the helpless. So instead of trying to tell God how great they are, he says, oh, we're, Israel's so small. Israel's, you know, so, so weak. Israel needs help. When we ask for help from God, what's our best tactic? To ask for help on the basis of how, how great we are? Is that likely to impress the Lord? Humble ourselves. Isn't that ironic? Because so often sometimes we think that the thing we need to do is prove we deserve it or something like that. And we don't need to prove we deserve it. We need to prove we need it. We depend on God. We need to humble ourselves. Don't try to, to, to recite our resume to God and say, I'm really worthy, God. I've done so much good. Give this to me. But more to say, I, I need help. I'm, I'm incapable. I'm weak. So Amos pleads with God for mercy for Israel on the basis of how small Israel is. And God? <coughs> yeah. He changed his mind and said, okay, no locusts. Does prayer change God's mind? Yes. The prayer of a righteous man was failed tonight. And you can remember some other cases where people intervened with God and God relented concerning punishment. Can't you? Moses. Moses is the classic example. Yeah. Why comments and questions about those three verses? Four to six. Thus the Lord God showed Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the terrible territory. Then I said, O Lord God, peace and pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. So what did Amos see this time? Fire. Fire. I'll tell you, fire and locusts are kind of the same uh, genre, don't you think? They both just destroy everything in their path. Um, and what does Amos do? Same thing he did before. Yeah, very same thing. And what does the Lord do? Yeah, same thing. So really, 1 to 3 and 4 to 6 are parallel. They kind of, uh, you know, emphasize the same point. Comments or questions about that? Well, we've got another vision, but this one is a little different. 7 to 9. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, 
when the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam. Alright, this time what does Amos see? A plumb line. What's a plumb line? Yeah. And it's used to show whether something is plumb, whether it's vertical, whether it's, uh, you know, or whether or not it's crooked. <laughs> um, well, why did God show Amos a plumb line? Show how crooked. Exactly. I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. Now, I think there's a real reason why God did this at this point with Amos. What has Amos been doing in these last couple of visions? Begging for mercy for the people. What's God doing with the plumb line? Showing him they are. Exactly. Showing them how they need to be punished. Letting Amos see the people like God sees the people. They are so crooked that they can't be spared any longer. Now Amos doesn't beg for mercy because the plumb line shows how not upright they are and how much they their misconduct demands punishment. So he says, I won't spare them any longer. And he's going to devastate a couple of things. What? When their idols are? Yeah. Their religion. Their high places, their sanctuaries. And what else is he going to go against God? Yes. The king. The house of Jeroboam. So Israel's religion and the kingly dynasty will be destroyed by God. Um, notice, I thought this was interesting in verse 9, the high places of who? I think we can call Israel by a lot of names. <laughs> Israel, Jacob, Isaac, you know, Joseph, Ephraim, Samaria, I don't know what else, but they go by lots of names. But the U.S. does too. What do we call the U.S.? The U.S., the United States, America, the states, Uncle Sam, Washington, etc. So, you know, that's normal. Alright, comments and questions through verse 9. Pretty self-explanatory, don't you think? Ten to seventeen. the priest of Bethel sent word to Jeroboam king of Israel saying Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel the land is unable to endure all his words but thus Amos says Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile then Amaziah said to Amos go you seer flee away to the land of Judah and there eat bread and there do your prophesying but no longer prophesy at Bethel for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence then Amos replied to Amaziah I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. So the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord you are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife will become a harlot in the city, your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. 
Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Fine, here's a narrative section. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, tells Jeroboam what? Amos is talking against you. Yeah. Amos has conspired against you. The land is unable to endure all his words. This is, you know, we can't tolerate this. You know, Amos is inciting rebellion. You know, he's he's in he's speaking in treasonous terms. So, how is a- Amaziah seeing Amos? Is it threat? Yes. Traitor. Yes. Rebel. Yes. Sort of in political terms, not religious terms. You know, he sees Amos as a rabble-rouser. He's not thinking about this in spiritual terms, in terms of the Lord. He sees Amos as working to undermine the authority of the king. It's got kind of... He, he looks at this as like political propaganda, what Amos has been saying. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So that is what... Amaziah tells Jeroboam that Amos is doing. That shows you how they look at a man like Amos. So, Amaziah turns to Amos and tells him to do what? Leave. Leave and go to Judah. Judah. What's the incentive he gives him? What does that mean? Yes! They'll appreciate you more down there. They'll pay you better. Go down there and earn your money. Because this is the royal residence. This is the sanctuary of the king. Your work is not welcome here. Comments and questions through 13. What's Amos' answer? <clears throat> I didn't want to do this. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> really? I'm not a professional prophet. He's not prophesying to make a living. It has nothing to do with money. It wasn't something he chose for himself anyhow. Why is he doing this? God said go and prophesy. That doesn't leave him a lot of options. But by by profession, he's actually a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. That's what he is. You know, he's not out, out here for the money. And so, no amount of money is going to do anything for him. You know, you can't just tell him, well, there'll be more money over there. Or they'll like you better over there. That's not the point. Amos has a mission God gave him. And wow. So Amos says, now hear the word of the Lord. You, you are saying, you, you are saying, you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. <laughs> and here's what he says now. Therefore thus says the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in the city, your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword, and your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. What do you think about that? 
swallow. Yeah! <laughs> Did Amaziah's threat intimidate Amos? Doesn't look like it. I mean, he returns right back to what he was saying, even stronger with no apologies. And why does he do it? Why, if you were Amos, why would you preach like that? Exactly. It's what God told you to do. You're not going to back down because it's God's message. You know, Amaziah tried to, to kick Amos out of Israel. Well, what happened is God was going to kick Amaziah out of Israel. They were the ones who were going to leave. Comments and thoughts. Gary, it's almost ironic that uh, God called this old sheep herder, this old farmer, this old hick out of the country. Go tell these rich city people. Got some bad news for you. <laughs> things don't look too good, you know. And just things that only the part, you know, like a grabbing the pieces out of a lion's mouth, you know, I mean, only someone like a shepherd, you know, would know, but very real, very graphic, very down-home kind of language that, you know, God chose the right man for the job. I mean, they're not going to respond, but here's someone who speaks the language they need to hear. You're exactly right. You know, I think sometimes, too, that... Um, during one of the Bible studies, uh, Sid was telling us, I don't know if you were there back when we were meeting the building in Seymour, and uh, I forget the congregation, but they, they hired this one fellow, and he, he, he just came into him. It was a college town. He said, look, he said, I want to tell you folks something. He said, I don't have, I don't have a Ph.D. I'm not college educated, but he said, I know the Bible. So, and he, and he was just kind of letting them know that you know some things about education, but I know the Bible. And he was just letting them know that he didn't think that they were too big with all their degrees to challenge what the Lord had said. And so he was just letting them flat know, I speak for the Lord. I don't care what who you are, I speak for the Lord. That's the right approach. That's exactly what you've got in Amos, and that's exactly right. We don't have to be sophisticated, we don't have to be cultured. There's a lot of things we may not know, but we're not speaking on what we know. If we're doing what's right, we're speaking the message of God, and that message does, does not change depending on how cultured you are. It is pretty impressive to see Amos' courage, and I don't know. I, I don't think they know how to deal with somebody like Amos. Somebody who's really convicted, who's got a message from the Lord. That just kind of buffaloes, you know, people like Amaziah, who, if you're not preaching for money, why are you preaching? <laughs> I mean, this is maybe out of context, but I probably used this before somewhere. But, you know, a number of years ago, there was an elder in a church, I don't know him, didn't know the church, I've never been there, who called me wanting to know if I'd consider moving there. And I wouldn't. I wasn't considering moving at that time. But, you know, he wanted to tell me about the job anyway, because uh, I might have, you know, other people I knew who'd be interested or whatever. And so he told me a few things, you know, how many elders they had, how big the group was, blah, 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 blah. And embedded in the middle of all that, he, he managed to tell me, he said, and you know, I, I, we, we pay better than about any church in the brotherhood. <laughs> and then just goes on. 
Well, you know, if I had been interested, I think that would have probably nixed it right there. You know, it was kind of, you know, just like, wow. So he would think that I would be, and he would even want me to be motivated by the fact that they'll probably give me more money than anybody else will. You know? And, but, you know, that's the way so many people think is that why you do what you do is because of some personal advantage, not because of the Lord. It's hard for people to understand sincere conviction before God. It's not the way the world operates. Sometimes it's not the way Christians operate, obviously. Alright, other thoughts or comments uh, on this? To me, this kind of shows how bad the priest had gotten. You're exactly right. <laughs> Alive. You wouldn't do anything else for the Lord but to get money, obviously. What else would you use the Lord for? It's like, wow. We got some good priests going on around here. Yeah. And you would allow whether or not it's popular to determine where you preached. Well, we're not done with the visions here of Amos. We just took a little detour here when Amaziah challenged him. So chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. And he said, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. And the Lord said to me, The end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day, declares the Lord God. Many will be corpses in every place, and they will cast them forth in silence. Don't you appreciate the way Amos sees what's there? <laughs> you know, what does God show him? Ask it to summer. And so we ask him, what do you see, Amos? And what does Amos see? Ask it to summer. Yeah, he's really observant. <laughs> What's the point? Summer's almost over. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? It's over, right? Maybe it's like past time to do something about it? I think the harvest imagery is judgment imagery. It's about time to pick Israel. The end has come. They won't be spared any longer. You know, God is going to bring a harvest of judgment here. And the songs of the palace will turn to wailing. A lot of corpses, they'll cast them forth. So this is a, there's devastation for Israel. And this time, uh, Amos doesn't ask for a stay of execution. This time, Amos accepts the fact God is going to punish that's the way it has to be. The harvest time has come. Their conduct has made them ripe for judgment. Comments and questions? Two of verse. Through three. <coughs> Alright, four to six. trample the needy to do away with the humble of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that, may, that we may open the wheat market, to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales, so as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals, and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. Wow. <laughs> 
if that isn't a uh, sad commentary on their uh, behavior and attitude, what do you see here? Trample the needy. That's pretty, uh, you know, just trample them down. Just stomp them, stomp on them. You do away with the humble. Yeah? Hurry up and get the Sabbath. Hurry up and get to the market. Yeah, so we can cheat people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, uh, you know, dishonest prophets were so good that the sellers could hardly stand to take Sabbath days off. You know, it was, it was annoying to interrupt their, their uh, you know, corrupt business practices to have to have a feast day. All they care about is making money. Nothing else really matters. You know, it makes you wonder why they observe the feast day to begin with. But isn't that the way that goes sometimes? People will hypocritically do something like that, grudging because it's, it's a limitation to their greed. They can't wait to get back to do what? Yeah, to mistreat the poor, buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. To, to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger. Do you understand making the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger? Pay more for less. Uh, pay less for more. Or maybe other people will pay more for the less they're giving them. Yeah. Either way, you know, one measure for the seller, another measure for the buyer. So you receive more, you give less. It's not fair. It's not right. But they were doing anything they could to manipulate the process for their own gain. Selling the refuse of the wheat. The garbage. For a profit. I mean, all they care about is their own greed and anything is sacrificed to, 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 to do it. You know, we are in this, this culture that thinks, as long as you can get by with it, it's okay. Well, the market will bear it. You know, then it's, then it's fair. No, that's not true. There, God cares about justice and honesty, not just what the market will bear. And there's just a whole lot of the idea that, you know, anything you can get by with is fair. And that's not true. What do you mean? Like, I'm not sure I understand like, uh, what the market will bear. I'm not sure what that means. You don't charge as much as you want to. Make your products as inferior as you like. Just so you can get people to buy it. Integrity counts. Not just what you can get by with. Other comments and questions? Seven to ten. The Lord has sworn by the power of Jacob, indeed I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this, will not the land quit, and everyone who dwells in the land? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile, and it will be tossed about and subsided like the Nile of Egypt. It will come about in the day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and make the earth dark and far daylight. Then I will turn your festivals in the morning, and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins, and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. And the end of it will be like a bitter day. 
the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. I don't know whether that means he's swearing by himself as he's the pride of Jacob, or whether or not he's speaking ironically that there's nothing any more firm and fixed than Israel's pride. Yeah, let me see who else wants to sell me something here. Make sure the market will bear it. Hello. sworn that he will not forget any of their deeds. You know, God will judge them for what they've done. The land will quake. It's almost like the land's going to rise up against them. Like the Nile be tossed about. Everything will go dark at noon. The festivals would go sad. The songs and the lamentation. You know, a lot of signs of mourning. Mourning like for an only son. It's just, you know, he's just warning about the, the terrible judgment and devastation. How God is going to bring them down and punish them. <coughs> Comments and questions? Still awake? are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. Alright. So the time's coming when God's going to send a famine. Kind of a famine. I'm not going to talk to him anymore. Yeah. Not a famine for bread, a famine for the word of God. Can you imagine what it would be like if you can't find a word of God? You don't know what he said? He won't talk to you anymore? They wouldn't listen to him when he did talk to him, so he's going to send a famine to where they won't be able to listen to him. They'll search for him everywhere and they can't find him. Even the vigorous young men would faint from this thirst. Sometimes we take things for granted. You know, you get the word of the Lord, they got it so much they didn't want it. But then when they didn't have it, they wanted it. You think, do you ever think, well, you know, I wish I didn't have to study the Bible. I wish I didn't have to read this. What if you couldn't read it? You know, what if it were like, I I heard um, years ago, I I guess this was true, I don't know, that before the Iron Curtain fell, for you younger people, before um, (laughs) 
before Eastern Europe was free of communism, back before you were born. Um, I heard in Poland, you know, it was illegal to have Bibles and all. Somebody smuggled a Bible into a church, uh, and and they carefully cut the Bible up and gave a piece to each family to read and study that week, and then they'd come back together on Sunday and trade pieces. Can you imagine if you hadn't been able to have a Bible? Finally, a Bible's brought in, and you get a part of it for a week. What you would do? How thrilling that would be? You might not get that part for a long time to come. See, we have it so readily accessible, it doesn't impress us. What if, what if God sent a famine, a thirst for the Word of God, and we couldn't find it? That's what he's saying to them here. And then he says in 14, you know, you guys who are idolaters will fall and not rise again. You know, you're going to be brought down and you will not come back up. Alright, comments and questions? Is this referring to a certain time? Like, when he was going to make his family come? Maybe in the, maybe in the exile. Okay. okay. But I don't know. The guilt of Samaria, just the idols. Um, yeah, perhaps. I don't know. How do you spell granted? Take some for granted. Granted, G R A N T E D. Oh, like you like grant. Granted, yeah. Oh, okay. Takes as a given. Takes for granted. The way we say it, it almost sounds like takes for granted. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for a rock. <laughs> <coughs> Alright, anything else on chapter 8? Yes. I, that's what I'm guessing. Alright, then why don't we take a break before we do 9, see if we can uh, have good energy to go into that.